Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Maureen in New Zealand, good morning to you on this uh, Thursday morning. Fine here in Hawke's Bay. I hope it is uh, wherever you are around the country. A little bit chilly, but you would expect that at this time of the year. And you'd also expect us to talk a, a little bit about uh, cricket and rugby. Uh, and that's what we're going to do, do in about uh, two minutes' time. We're going to talk to uh, Dean Wilson, of course, Daily Mirror cricket correspondent. Dean's been with us before as we went through the uh, New Zealand series uh, against uh, England, but, of course, uh, the mopped-up India as well. Dean's also across what's happening in uh, British rugby, English rugby as well. So uh, what about uh, that situation as they head into that second test against the Wallabies in Brisbane on Saturday night. Uh, we're going to talk to also to uh, Nigel Avery because uh, the Commonwealth Games teams now all across the board have been finalised. So what about the arrangements now? And uh, Nigel Avery, of course, uh, is the Commonwealth Games chef de mission. And so we'll uh, talk to Nigel just after 10 o'clock. Our panel this morning will be uh, Sam Ackerman, Aidan McLaughlin. Sam will be strong on the rugby league side of things, and that is huge at the moment, isn't it? Have a pacing uh, for purpose uh, horse for you uh, throughout the morning as well. Uh, Peter O'Reilly joins us after 11 o'clock. Now, Peter O'Reilly's an interesting bloke. He's actually a a former Irish cricket international, but he's over here and has been a long-time correspondent for the Sunday Times on Irish rugby. Actually played against uh, Peter. He played uh, two uh, one-day internationals against New Zealand in Ireland back in 1990. He was part of the bowling attack there. So uh, I've got to be honest with you. can't remember too much about those two games, but uh, Peter will uh, refresh me. Of course, uh, I know that we won them both. That's the main thing. Uh, charity run for Greyhounds as well at uh, 11.45. We'll have a Greyhound uh, for you uh, coming out of Addington. Our charity, of course, is for Women's Refuge. So uh, quite the busy show. And, of course, we'll invite you to have some talk back just after 9.30 this morning where you can uh, win a Chemist Warehouse voucher uh, for 50 bucks as well. Yep, the words there of former England captain and expert commentator Michael Atherton there on reflection. And there's a bloke who knows exactly what uh, Joe Root has been through as a captain over the years because Michael Atherton was, uh, of course, long-time captain of England uh, and under pressure himself at times as well. Uh, And how fitting it is, too, for England to chase down a record total of 378, winning by seven wickets. Can you believe that? Joe Root and Johnny Bairstow, the two Yorkies at the crease, together finishing on 142 and 140 not out, respectively. Uh, they're calling it rock and roll cricket, some of the lads, and uh, other people around the England are calling it baseball. Um, it's, it's named after, of course, Brendan McCullum, and uh, it's about the attitude, I think, as much as anything else. Uh, and on the other side of the coin, where Brendan McCullum has taken the heat off uh, the England coaching position, it's going on the England rugby position of head coach, and Eddie Jones is starting to feel it 
and we're not far away from uh, the World Cup. So who better to talk to us about both of those subjects this morning? Uh, it's uh, British time in the evening, of course, is the Daily Mirror's Dean Wilson, who has been kind enough to rejoin the show. I think our third crack at Dean in the last uh, couple of months, Dean. But uh, we're always talking about some pretty good stuff as far as England's cricket is concerned now. Uh, what a performance chasing down 378, the best ever run chased by England. Can you believe what you're watching here? Yeah, look, absolutely delighted to be back on with you, Smithy. Uh, of course, every time I come on, that's another bottle of Sauvignon Blanc, so I, I don't mind at all. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's been a terrific uh, few weeks watching uh, the way England have gone about it. Four wins out of four. I certainly didn't see that coming uh, when, when things started off. We thought that it was pretty exciting. There'd be this positive, aggressive intent shown, but we didn't realise just how powerful and, and how and, and how effective it could be really and uh, you know taking on New Zealand you know world test champions pretty decent side in their own right um, was always going to be a, a stiff challenge that England rose to but I think there was always a feeling that India coming over even though it was for one one one-off test that they were going to try and bring their their A game because the last thing they wanted was to give up the 2-1 lead that they had from the series last year. And so you could tell that they were they were right on it from the word go. But England were just too strong. Record run chase. Bring anything you want to set, we'll chase it, they say. So, uh, yeah, bring it on. Were you surprised to see them give the captaincy to Bumrah, Jasper at Bumrah, for this one-off? Um, not really. I mean, to be honest, the, the Indian captaincy has been like the the hot potato, whatever format, since Virat Kohli's, um, well, in, even before when he was captain, uh, they had some shuffling of the pack with, uh, I think he left the tour of Australia to, to go home for the birth of his child. Um, there were some injury issues. So, you know, Ajinkya Rahane's done it, um, Kale Rahul, Rohit Sharma. And then, of course, they've had, you know, Hardik Pandya doing it in the T20s. You know, Jasprit Bumrah, for me, you know, a, a real competitor. You know, he is a guy absolutely in kind of Kohli's uber-aggressive mould and he's got the skills to, to back it up. Um, and I thought that that was a fair, a fair shot. I thought he captained in India, you know, pretty well and, and did his job pretty well. Um, the fact is that whatever they scored, England were going to chase it. It's incredible. Now, what are we what are we seeing here from your point of view? You know these players very well. You've followed them around the world. Uh, transformation of uh, the players, the batsmen in particular, or are they just going through an absolute purple patch? Do you know it? it it's a, I'm I'm asking myself that question quite a bit because um, it, it feels somewhat ridiculous the transformation in in particular with someone like a Johnny Bairstow who has scored something like 30% of his test runs in the last um, 18 months or something ridiculous. I mean, he he has just been a, a man reborn. Um, he's always been a terrific player, don't get me wrong. He's always been, in my mind, one of the best six batsmen in England, but um, has just been kind of shunted up and down the order and, and used in, in a variety of ways. He, I'll tell you what it is for me. I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the show before. It's actually the L word. It's about love where Johnny Bairstow is concerned. I'm not sure that Johnny Bairstow has ever quite felt as much love from a dressing room, uh, an England dressing room, as he's feeling right now. And, you know, people might say that's a, a strange thing to say, but if you knew Johnny and, and just the kind of his yearning to to have that acceptance and, 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 and everything that kind of goes with it, I just think that Ben Stokes 
Brendan McCullum are two guys who actually will bring that out of, of players or, or rather who will give that support and give that love to players and back them no matter what. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, I'm not saying that Joe Root didn't love his players, but I think sometimes you can say these things, but it's quite another thing to really mean it. And I think that Ben and Baz, you know, really mean it and, and are kind of bringing the best out of the players that they've got. So at the moment, I... I I, I think I think it's to do with uh, you know the bit between the ears and 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 more than any any other great uh, magic to be honest. Well, they talk about the Fab Four and batting, which are of course Williamson, uh, Coley, Smith, and Root. Now Root has the most uh, Test centuries amongst them with twenty eight at fifty point seven six. So we are now seeing the best of him again after a, a somewhat of a lull by his standards. Yeah, absolutely. We're seeing the, the sort of form that I think he, he always threatened to produce before he got the captaincy, I think, when he was just batting and and had a real kind of zest for the game, I guess. I, I think when he took on the captaincy, it was a really interesting thing because uh, in the case of Kane Williamson, Stephen Smith and Virat Kohli, they all went to a, a new level with their batting when they when they immediately got the captaincy. They uh, scored more hundreds and, and led their team to, to more success. Whereas for Joe, he actually started to struggle scoring his hundreds. He, he always gets a few runs. He, he was he scored plenty of fifties in that time, but it's you know converting into those big scores which your your number one batsman needs to be doing to make you as successful as possible. And it's it's now that he's actually producing those kind of those kind of figures. Um, admittedly, the last year of his captaincy in 2021 was also a really special for year for him with the bat. Um, but the rest of the team didn't didn't go with it. The, the 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 form that he showed was very much out on its own. This time now that he's he's scoring the runs, uh, a few others are doing it with him. Ollie Pope's got a hundred. Even Alex Lees is coming out of his shell a bit. Ben Stokes clearly a, a world class batsman as well. So um, yeah, Root's got a few others to come along with him now. I, th- I think the attitude thing is is interesting, and I saw a quote. Uh, Dean from Ben Stokes saying a part of me wanted them to get 450 just to see how we would go chasing 450. I mean, this team, it sounds like they still haven't found what they think uh, are their boundaries as such. Not at all. Uh, You know, I mean, how how many could they have chased? The way that they overhauled 378, you know, three down, two batsmen with not out hundreds, uh, you know, it was done, I think, 90 minutes after play on day five. You know, we still had more than 60 overs left to play. And, you know, they're scoring at over five runs and over at times. That's another 300 runs onto the total. You know, I know it doesn't necessarily <laughs> work like that. But um, you, you, you just, you're starting to think, starting to wonder just what that they might be uh, might be capable of. I also think that, you know, what, what was so special about the performance against India was that, Having played New Zealand, you know, you're in the middle of a test series against a team that you um, you know the bowling attack, you know the bowlers, the angles and, and how it's coming out of the hand. You've played them three games in a row. So you've got a fair amount of familiarity. You know, they're coming in against India a little bit cold. You know, Boomer's got that unusual action. Mohamed Siraj, uh, Mohamed Shami and Shardul Thakur all very decent bowlers as well as a very high quality spinner. So for England to take down that attack 
with such ease. Um, I just thought really that was another step forward for me in terms of, of, of how they're playing at the moment. And, you know, we've got a bit of a break now. I'm about to go and cover a, a T20 match tomorrow. I'm not sure, whether, you know, whether it's the same guys playing or not because, you know, they're going to be playing the same style of cricket. But um, we've got a little break before the next Test Series against South Africa. But I can't wait. I, I'm, I'm genuinely excited about the next Test match. And um, I'm not sure I could say that too often recently. Two things before uh, we go across across to uh, Eddie Jones and the England uh, rugby side. I just wonder, uh, Baz has shown the faith, uh, and you can do that with a winning team. Uh, he hasn't mucked around with his top order. He's given them opportunities. So are you satisfied that that is now perhaps a settled top order? The other question, of course, uh, the acid test will be against Australia. That's about a year away at this point. What about the legs of Jimmy Anderson and Stuart Broad 12 months away? So as far as the top order goes, you're absolutely right. While they're winning, while they're being successful, while Joe Root, Johnny Best are doing the heavy lifting, that does give you a chance to kind of put a bit more faith into Zach Crawley, um, Alex Lees and Ollie Pope. Uh, Ollie Pope got 100 uh, a couple of games ago, you know, did really well there. But I still think if you're going to be a consistent, you know, top three player, he's still probably got to tighten up a little bit. You can't. At, at that level, at that at that top order, you can't just wait for flat pitches, ball not doing too much, or a quick change for a softer ball. You know, there, there's going to be times, especially in England, where you've just got to be really tight with your defence, leave the ball well, and and make sure your technique's up to scratch. And, and there's still a bit of work to be done on that. We can see with Zach Crawley, he's doing that work and he's really trying so hard. He he left the ball much better in the second innings. Um, at uh, Esberston, but of course, you know, he then left one when they changed the ball. It did a bit more than he was expecting and had his off stump bend back. Uh, Alex Lees is, is starting to make progress, starting to look a bit more confident, but still, you know, until you get those three figures, until you, you, you really know that you can do it at this level, there's always going to be that question. So there's still a, a work in progress, but yeah, they, they can give them a bit more time, a bit more support, definitely. No, no problem with that. Um, the issue about uh, Jimmy Anderson and, and, and Stuart Broad and, and the Aussies, look, I think, I think they're just going to have to manage Jimmy. Jimmy's still the best in the business, no doubt about it. Picked up another five-wicket haul here in this game. But his output in the second innings of matches has been a bit, little bit shy. Uh, he, he can't play back-to-back-to-back matches as well. You're going to have to manage his workload. The guy's turning 40 in a couple of weeks. So, you know, that's understandable. The interesting one for me is Stuart Broad, who I do think is kind of really trying to cling on to, to his place at the moment and is just battling really, really hard to do so. If guys come back online like Mark Wood, uh, Ollie Robinson, Ollie Stone, Joffre Archer, you know, these kind of high-paced bowlers... Uh, you know, I think Stuart Broad may well have a bit of a battle in his hands to get to to that Ashes series. But one thing I know about Stuart Broad is he's got he's got that battle, he's got that mentality. So I can't write him off. Last thing I would say about Australia, Steve Smith is said, let's see about Basball when you got Josh Hazelwood on a green seamer. I love the fact the Aussies are getting riled about this. It's going to make hmm. for a terrific series next summer. I can't wait for that. Yeah, I can. I can uh, honestly say they'd be if they wanted to sell the tickets now. They could. They'd go in five minutes. So that's a great sign for uh, English cricket. However, for English rugby, not quite so rosy at the moment. Dean, 
Eddie Jones under a fair amount of pressure here. This is an England rugby side who lost uh, to Australia, albeit by two points. Some late tries helping the cause there. Uh, but they were 14, they had 14 men for, what, uh, 46 minutes of the game and they couldn't break them down when it really mattered. So what are we looking at with Eddie Jones and England rugby right now? Look, I, I, th- I think it's a love affair that really is turning very, very sour, I'm afraid. You know, I talked to quite a few of the guys who still cover a bit of rugby. I, I know you said you got Peter Riley on later. Good man, Pete. Um, shared a few moments on tour with him. Um, I still talked to a few of the rugby journos. And, you know, they're getting increasingly agitated by Eddie and, and and the fact that there's no real progress, no real sign of progress, no real sign of a plan, actually. Um, you know, he's kind of trying to move the team forward, but going back to, to some other players, you know, gone back to Danny Kerr when he, he almost kind of had written him off in, entirely. He's gone back to Billy Bonapola um, again when he seemed to have moved on. And this kind of chopping and changing is leading to uh, there's got no cohesion there's no there's no rhythm there's no um nothing is smooth about the way england are attacking at the moment it's all well and good having you know decent physical specimens who can do the grunt work you've got etoje and laws and 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 and, uh, genge and players like this who you know terrific athletes who can get the set piece work done but you know Rugby, just like cricket, is about scoring runs. You know, rugby is about scoring tries and, and scoring points. And uh, on that front, the attacking game at the moment is completely lacking. I thought it was, you know, one of the worst first half performances I'd seen. Even though they'd uh, they got into the lead, I thought England were just completely and utterly devoid of any real attacking threat. And then Johnny Hill and Darcy Swade, oh my God, pathetic bit of rugby that was. You know, the way that the those two carried on just did nothing for me. Um, and I think Eddie's really, yeah, he, he's struggling at the moment. He's got to find a way to get this attack firing. And maybe, just maybe, he's got to choose between Marcus Smith and Owen Farrell. Does he, does he put his faith in the young lad, you know, up and coming? Or does he keep sticking with Owen Farrell and, 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 and be loyal to him. I think he might have to make a choice there. Why don't they work together well? What's wrong with that combination? I, 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 I don't think they're on the same wavelength, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that I think Owen still wants to control the game from 12 as much as anything. I think, Mark, I think Marcus Smith is a guy who wants to play a more expansive style of rugby, but he's also got to kind of fit into the 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 framework that they're that they're creating for him um and for me it's just yeah it's not it's not working uh, what one of the best you know Owen Farrell who who is a more structured player but he's certainly capable of of opening that game I can remember when Owen and um Johnny Sexton for the Lions combined so successfully uh, in New Zealand on the last tour, you know, with their wraparounds and their, you know, driving the team forward with their attacking style. But there just doesn't seem to be that kind of cohesion between Smith and Farrell at the moment. And as I said, with the with the changes going on at scrum half and at number eight, you know, that, that axis between, uh, you know, number eight, nine and ten is so important. But it is, it's really clunky at the moment. There's, there is no uh, real cohesion there. So, you know... That's where the that's where the 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 attacking game starts, uh, and then it gets a, its impetus in the midfield. And then when you see uh, uh, was it uh, Karevi, the way Karevi was 
just dominating the midfield um, last week in the second half. It goes to show what 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 a, what a, a side with a, an attacking threat can look like, and that's why I think Australia will feel very very confident about going to the next game uh, in Brisbane. Dean Wilson, as always, thank you very much uh, for your uh, summary of uh, where the, the cricket team is now that they have a slight hiatus before South Africa and also uh, filling us in on that uh, English rugby side and uh, the relationship with Eddie Jones. Interesting stuff. Second test, Brisbane, Saturday night. Dean, thank you very much, mate. Yes, you're right. Uh, you're up to three bottles now and there'll be good stuff. Don't you worry. <laughs> Cheers, Smithy. Cheers, mate. Cheers. Dean Wilson there uh, out of the Daily Mirror, of course, uh, correspondence there on uh, a number of issues around uh, UK sport. Uh, we'll be back uh, very shortly uh, with a couple of talkback topics for you. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.29 here on SENZ and... Uh, Talkback subjects uh, this morning, we'll be calling for those uh, in uh, around about uh, three minutes' time. So what do you want to talk about this morning? The All Black naming uh, comes up at around 11.30 uh, at a couple of hours' time. So uh, what do you think, uh, what do you forecast the changes will be? What would you do? And more importantly, what would you do, not what uh, they would do? What would you like to see, particularly with the Sam White lockout, uh, the Scott Barrett uh, scenario there? Uh, what about the midfield? Any changes at all? Uh, or would you just want to be constant? So... Love to hear your, your calls uh, on that, two hours out from the naming. Uh, also, the other thing with the Warriors, of course, uh, what about Tamari Martin coming? Is that fair to uh, expect that we should be able to cop him? If they get Reese Walsh, can we have Tamari Martin back? Does Tamari Martin want to come back? That's an interesting thing. Or does he want to stay uh, with a very successful Broncos side compared to the Warriors at the moment? So there are those uh, issues, of course. And uh, what about Nick Kyrgios, uh, the, people, the person uh, a lot of us love to hate because of his antics? All of a sudden, his tennis is winning through. And uh, he looks like uh, he's on track to possibly win his first Grand Slam. He's going to take on Nadal in the early hours of Saturday morning. And Nadal carrying a little bit of an abdominal problem uh, as well. So... That might not help his cause, but uh, honestly, uh, Nick Kyrgios. So there's all those uh, various things there. Uh, you can perhaps ring up, if you like, uh, and discuss about uh, the uh, the pay equity in uh, New Zealand cricket all of a sudden as well. Quite an emotive issue if you want to get stuck into that as well. Uh, we'll uh, ask for calls 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811 very, very shortly. In the meantime, here's the news with Araha. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Yep, 0800 150 811. That is the number. 50 bucks Chemist Warehouse voucher up for grabs. Uh, I've got a bit of a spy, actually, who tells me that Barrett uh, is going to lock Dalton Popoliti to the side and Will Jordan to the bench. So uh, what would you make of that uh, if there, uh, those changes came about? Will Jordan uh, going to the bench, so uh, not uh, not uh, tinkering at all, it seems, with uh, the back line. Um, but Barrett, Scott Barrett back into lock and Dalton Popoliti on the side of the scrum. So playing two open sides on a very fast track that we know it will be. Uh, under the roof at Forsyth Bar Stadium. So, yeah, uh, I think, uh, is, is Dean with us this morning? I, I hope Dean's with us because um, the eve of uh, a Dunedin Test match, we've got to be, or well, the penultimate day before uh, 
uh, Dunedin Test match. We've got to, hear, got to be hearing from uh, Dean, I'm sure. So uh, he'll have uh, some theories on the all-black makeup of the side. Just winning, just confirming. Okay, Dean, good morning to you, Dino. Um, what do you think of that? Uh, Scott Barrett to lock, Dalton Popoli to the side of the scrum, Will Jordan to the bench. Oh, I just took my daughter or stepdaughter to school, Smithy, and they were actually closed training, so I dropped her off and got the binoculars out, and I'll just say nothing, but your phone's going to run hot. Simple as that, but I can't wait. I just simply can't wait. For the game or for the naming? For the game. The naming doesn't matter. They're just going to put 15 out there, as they always do, and um, they'll go good. Simple as that. And the Irish will give us plenty, and it's going to be one hell of a ding-dong battle at Forsyth Bar. So, yep. So you, you've, you've got your tickets. Uh, you, you got your tickets. You got you actually going to the game, or you're going to law courts it? No, mate. I have got ten tickets. No, well, law courts win. No, you always got to go. Like I'm a believer. If you don't go, you won't get. You know what I mean? So as long as Christchurch keep having meetings, I'll keep going to test matches in Dunedin. So I can't, I could call another meeting, I say. Saves me fuel. <laughs> well, um, we've had a lot of uh, feedback, uh, of course, uh, on the, the emotive side of <coughs> of uh, the coaching and, and the captaincy set up. And we know your, your uh, absolute uh, theories about it, but are you warming a little bit to Sam Kane that I detect yesterday? Um... Not really. No, I wouldn't say that. I mean, they're, they're all good rugby players, let's be honest. There's no, you don't wear an all-black jersey and not be an outstanding rugby player. I just think it's a little bit sad when there's other people there, one in particular at the moment, that is just, I don't know, he's playing different rugby, playing better rugby. Like I get all the ties. I, get the, I don't even see it. When I watch, I don't even see what everyone's talking about, to be brutally honest. Like... Scott Barrett, for me, was sensational at six. And, and Ethan Black at it, basically they push. And the big problem the All Blacks have had in the scrum is there hasn't been enough coming from somewhere. Now, clearly our locks are doing the best they can. But I remember when I played, they, they said to some of the blokes in the senior team, you know, like, you're a gun player, but you're doing nothing. Like, they're too interested in hitting the first five or getting to where they want to be next, you know. But they, it was obvious that um, Barrett at six is where I'd like to see him stay. I'd like to find another lock. And clearly Ethan as well. Like we, you need two. Let's be honest, you need two. So Sam Kane's the captain. Sam Whitelock's the captain. They've got, they've got a lot of boxes ticked, but you need two everywhere. And they're trying that, you know. We've got Stephen Pirafeta, I think, for me... Him and Damien's a toss-up. Like, I'd like to see Damien McKenzie play 10, not 15. For the simple physicality, of everyone's got a 16-stone Fijian on the wing that at fullback. They're not going that slow when they get to it, so I think it's an A&E ticket waiting. So at 10, he'd be good. But we've got Geordie, we've got Will at fullback. That's, that's pretty much covered. The midfield, that's, that's outstanding. I didn't it's just a matter of who goes where, and we need to, for me, just settle on some combinations. I thought two by year looked really, really good. So why would you rest him? Like David, I mean, I rate him. I think he's the best twelve in the country. But you give a guy a chance, and it was no one's fault. And if they take that chance, I think it'd, it'd be wrong if they were to make a change there. So we'll wait for the team naming and 
and see what happens. But as I say, I've just watched them training, so I, I've got a fair idea what's going on, but I won't say anything. Okay, fair enough, uh, Dean. You keep it <laughs> keep it under wraps. We'll probably speak to you again uh, tomorrow morning, which of course will be the eve of the uh, Dunedin Test match. So uh, that was Dean this morning. Love to hear from uh, you guys uh, or ladies, of course. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven is our phone number. The pay equity uh, in cricket now, where uh, women players with exactly the same men on any given day that they're playing in any uh, different form of the game. Uh, is there an opinion out there? On that, I wonder, uh, and uh, if there isn't, obviously you're accepted, uh, acceptive of that and you just uh, probably feel it should be the case. Do you perceive that uh, at some point uh, that uh, a Black Ferns player, uh, Black Fern Lock, will be getting the same amount of money as Sam Whitelock uh, on a, a test match basis? So uh, it's be interesting uh, to perceive that. I'm hearing, um, this is what I'm hearing, okay? My spies tell me, but Barrett to Lock. Dalton Popoliti to the side of the scrum, Will Jordan to the bench, and Fokotava to the bench. So Fokotava, Falau, Fokotava to the bench as well. Um, and that would be uh, an all-Highlanders look at halfback, wouldn't it, with uh, Aaron Smith. So, uh, yeah. Uh, d- and, and Yes, I, I saw that Brennan's just come on with a text as well. Uh, uh, yeah, DMAC, DMAC. Uh, playing club rugby in Invercargill over the weekend. I saw that headline as well. So making his way back into New Zealand rugby through the club scene in uh, Invercargill. Blair from Dunedin. Good morning to you, Blair. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. What are you? What are you, uh, you theorising about the All Blacks? Um, I just I'm I'm a huge, huge Sam Kane fan, um, and just hearing Dino. Talk on the on the radio there. Um, yes, we've got some guys. The you know we've got open side flankers that are doing some amazing stuff in New Zealand. It's a great thing to have. Is obviously uh, numbers. You know we've got that many good players around. But I just want people to urging people to if they can watch the All Blacks live, go to the games and watch and just watch Sam Kane because he's. You know, you're not seeing what he's doing off the ball. You're not seeing... All you're seeing is what's on TV, and that's where Artie and that are obviously standing out so much. But, um, yeah, I'd just really like to really get everyone in behind him. He's an amazing player. I think you're right, and, and Blair, he's not one of the great ball-carrying sevens. Let, let's be fair, he's not that. But that's that. we know that. Uh, you know, you're not going to see Sam yeah. Kane very often break tackles with ball in hand but you are and and you're absolutely right if you, if you could isolate a camera and Sky did this for a while they'd pick out a player and isolate him for the 80 minutes uh, and I'm sure selectors do that along the way as well but if you did isolate what Sam Kane was doing you don't often see him because he's in a massive body he's doing stuff and and I I'm with you. I mean, uh, his, his tackle rate is, is pretty successful. Um, when he hits guys, he hits hard. He's got a tough shoulder, as they say. Uh, and he, you yeah. know, his, his, his record as captain is, is, is not that bad, to be honest. No, and and obviously he shows a huge amount of leadership, and the, and the guys get him behind him. Obviously, like he's not, he's not, he's there for a reason. So yeah, um, I just want people, to, yeah, just to. Um, this this headline that was that come from uh, the guy overseas from in uh, England. Um, yeah, Barnes. Just rubbish. Yeah, Barnes. Yeah, it's just and it's just he's just trying to get people buying newspapers, obviously. But it's just you know that can't. 
as much as you could avoid it, Sam's not going to... He's going he's gonna to know about what people are saying in that, and, and that can't help. Like, get him behind it, Larry. Yeah, well, I, 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 for me anyway, if Stuart Barnes is upsetting me, if I'm the All Black captain, I, I, I think I've got a, a bit of an issue if I'm take, taking notice of, of Stuart Barnes. And if, if I was uh, anyone uh, had any contact with Stuart Barnes, who's such an outspoken guy, Blair, I would just say, mate, tidy up your own backyard. It's your team that's in a mess at the moment. You can't beat 14 Wallabies in the space of 56 minutes. You tidy up your own backyard. You're such an expert on rugby. Now, have a chat to Eddie and leave uh, Sam Kane and, and uh, Ian Foster alone, my friend. That's what I'd be doing. Dave from Palmerston North. Anyway, Dave, good morning to you. Morning, Smithy. Morning, Smithy. It'll be good if Fokitava comes in, another Hawks Bay uh, halfback that we've provided to the All Blacks. It'll be fantastic. Hey, look, um, I thought Popoli would go to six, uh, and I thought I thought they might swap Jordan with Reese, but, yeah, keeping status quo would be good. The only thing is I'm going to the Wellington Test, and if we wrap up the series... There'll be changes. I'm going with my Irish mates, and I don't want to lose that game. Um, with Nick Kyrgios in the Grand Slam, I think uh, the only place you might, might be going is the Grand Slammer, if uh, the rumours are true. So uh, <laughs> I hope Raphael, yeah, Raphael takes care of him, you know, on behalf of us. I'm sure all women will be uh, championing Raphael in the double scores. Um, yeah, and um, this... Uh, Tomorrow, Martin coming back. Are we getting like uh, America, where players are getting just traded willy-nilly against their will? Well, that is an interesting because uh, never we've never really perceived that in sport down under as such. People get traded, but, but they are in effect when you buy a player in a professional way, they become a commodity, Dave, and um, you know they're yours to to do what you like with. But that is an unusual trade uh, setup for me within the NRL when you actually. Uh, one player signs and you automatically think you have rights to the incumbent in that position just to come back to your club. I, I don't even know Tamari Martin's attitude towards uh, wanting to play for the Warriors. Um, I mean, there's no point him coming if he's reluctant to, to come. I mean, he, he's been given a pathway back in by the Brisbane Broncos and it's worked damn well for him. I mean, he's had a hell of a season. So, uh, to be yeah. perfectly honest, uh, Dave, yeah. Yeah, he might have some animosity because he was playing in Waikato and Otrahonga. He probably, his first choice was to, for the Warriors to pick him up and they obviously missed the boat completely and now he's, you know, being basically traded whether he wants to or not to come back to Warriors um, uh, for uh, Reese Walsh. Yep, absolutely right. Uh, Dave, thank you very much uh, for your call. Uh, we've got time for one more, fellas. Thumbs up or not? Okay, we have uh, Steve from Auckland. Thanks for being patient. Steve, uh, what's on your mind this morning? Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Um, yeah, it's, that pay equity, man, it's a real touchy subject. Um, some of the conversations I had with, with um, some of my male friends, you'd probably want to keep them uh, private, if you know what I mean. Um, it's, it, it's, an, it's an interesting one for me because, um, you know, to me, New Zealand cricket, you're opening up a can of worms. And I'm, I'm actually just trying to basically find the worst for it. Maybe almost like a, a false economy, Smithy, where, you know, we, we all know that top-level male sport, basically because of the numbers that you get, people will always have have that interest. Now, I, I watched the Women's uh, Cricket World Cup, and obviously, like most people, watch the New Zealand, New Zealand team, but I kind of watched them and... Man, I've got to say, some of the, the dismissals I saw in some of their games, 
was almost like something you'd see at social cricket, if you know what I mean. Um, and all I'm basically saying, and it's not a, I'm not having a crack because they're, they're females, but the, you know, I certainly wouldn't go along to a rugby park and watch a reserve grade game of rugby because it's reserve grade with the greatest respect to those players, and that's whether it's male or, or female. You know, friends and whanau will go and support them, but I'll go and watch a premier game of game of footy because I know what I'm getting. A um, little bit like MMA, I will basically mm. watch the MMA females or males because I know I'm getting quality. I'm getting the best fighters, the best athletes that are involved in the, in the, in the sport. So, yeah, for me, boy, I wonder if New Zealand cricket are just going to maybe regret that decision financially somewhere down the line. Good point, Steve. Very, very good point. Um, and I, like you, I think uh, it's uh, a, a little bit of, of a gamble, uh, I've got to say. Um, they obviously uh, have been uh, with their marketing people um, and... And obviously they believe that uh, women's cricket is very, very marketable now after the World Cup and they will attract sponsors, they will attract income from it. Um, it remains to be seen. Steve, uh, I think you make a very good point and um, I think it's one that a lot of people uh, are talking about at the moment. It's 9.47 here on SCNZ. Thanks so much for your calls. Uh, the lads will make a decision on who wins the voucher this morning and we'll be back shortly. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. A couple of texts uh, have uh, come in. Smithy, a test match without Nisbo didn't feel right. Can't wait to hear the legend back in action this weekend doing what he does best. No one calls a game like he does. Ooh, ah, Nisbo is back, yes, uh, this weekend uh, and the following weekend as well, I understand. Uh, why would you drop Christie, says Liam. The All Blacks uh, regime uh, love making changes for the sake of making changes. Yeah, interesting point that. Um, this is just a, uh, a rumour I'm hearing anyway and it's nothing substantial. It's just... Uh, someone's uh, opinion on it, to be fair, and uh, they just uh, texted me on my phone to, just to say yeah, this is what they were thinking. So uh, what about those th- particular theories? Uh, we'll see, won't we, at, at 11.30, not uh, about 90 minutes away. We'll uh, hear that team definitive anyway. Uh, and a text in from uh, Mudgie, who's, uh, I think, sitting at home with COVID, um, bailing out of every opportunity that he's got at the moment and putting his uh, on everyone else, saying, uh, he loves Dean and leave the back line alone. Leave the back line alone. So uh, we'll be back very shortly with a multi. This is the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, yesterday we took uh, Christian Garin to beat Kyrgios. It didn't happen. Kyrgios actually beat him in straight sets. He's playing uh, well, uh, despite of his antics and uh, his unpopularity at times. He's playing some damn good tennis, so uh, we missed out there. The Storm uh, playing the Sharks tonight. I think the Storm will beat them at a buck 41. The Red Sox are playing Tampa Bay Rays this afternoon in the uh, Major League Baseball. I think they'll win at $1.72. That's Boston. And uh, I'm putting those forward to Nadal to beat Kyrgios. I think Nadal will beat Kyrgios. It's a day or so away, but the, the odds at the moment are in Nadal's favourite, $1.95. Multi those up. Storm, Red Sox into rougher uh, for $4.73. When we come back uh, after the news, we shall be talking to Nigel Avery. On SENZ. 2022 Birmingham Commonwealth Games are now just 21 days away. Yes, just three weeks. And with New Zealand's contingent all named and busy preparing to represent the country, the excitement is building for what is billed as the first truly open athletic experience since the pandemic began. 
from boxing to hockey, athletics to swimming, rugby sevens, cricket and more, the silver fern will be very apparent. It will be everywhere. And given that the Games are so soon, it's the perfect time to catch up again with the New Zealand chef the mission for these Games, Nigel Avery. Good morning, Nigel. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Good morning, Ian. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem at all, mate. Now that uh, it, it's all uh, picked, everyone knows who's going and who's not. Uh, how many athletes will we, se- we be sending across the board? Yeah, so athlete count is 234. Yeah, quite a diverse team. Um, more women than men for the first time, 53%. And that's largely due to uh, T20 cricket, women and obviously women's netball not having male counterparts. But um, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, very, very exciting that um, Tuesday where the last selections were made and uh, got, the, got the full quota going. How does that stack up in terms of uh, numbers in the past? Yeah, so the Gold Coast was New Zealand's largest Commonwealth Games team. I think it was around 251 or so. So, um, yeah, a little bit behind there, but it's understandable being so close. Um, we could see the largest team, but it's still a very, very sizable team. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, diverse. Uh, looking like uh, covering about 22 sports, and that's not allowing for the individual disciplines within those particular sports. So, man, if you're going to keep up with it, you're going to have to be very, very um, vigilant, aren't you? Yeah, we are, and, and fortunately, you know, Sky Television, our partners, have got six dedicated channels running through the night, so you might have to put the coffee pot on to stay up, but there's a lot to see. I think we've got some great highlight packages coming through, but, um, yeah, and as you mentioned in your intro, you know, the first, I guess, fully accessible, you know, major sporting event, it's going to be amazing, you know, the English... They love their sport. They're gonna. They're really gonna, you know, support it well. Obviously, their their country men and women, uh, but they they enjoy watching sport. It'll be full stadia, and so very very exciting for the team, particularly those um, athletes who um, uh, performed in Tokyo with with you know more or less empty stadiums. Yeah, you've got to obviously uh, cover all of these um, disciplines with, within your role, and you have people helping you out, no doubt. Uh, but will you have an opportunity to meet everybody? I mean, will you know all these athletes by the end of it? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, my, my modus operandi is to try to be seen to be everywhere at all times, knowing that that's going to be impossible to do. But yeah, I, I guess it's um, we'll look at each day's program as it, as it comes out and, and try and support you know, where we can. And obviously, yeah, we've certainly got a, a large team of um, performance support there and we'll be making sure there's someone at every athlete's um, performance if we can. Um, but as far as meeting everybody, um, unsure on that. There's arrivals uh, late into the village after opening ceremony. There's people mm-hmm. leaving before the closing. So uh, obviously people have got engagements pre and post. Um, but it, ultimately it's just trying to support everybody in their endeavour to try and you know, optimise their performance on the day, You know, whatever that may be and whichever result that may be. Okay, so uh, what is your focus right now three weeks out and, and when exactly will you be he- heading to Birmingham to set everything up? Yeah, so we head away um, tomorrow week, Friday the 15th, uh, the advance party to, to set up the villages and, and our final entry meeting, which is on the 17th in Birmingham. Um, we get a short period of time to, to dress the village with New Zealand um, paraphernalia, only only three days where normally that's about a week or so, so it's going to be pretty frantic. But right now the focus is on um, pre-arrival induction meetings with all the athletes, just telling them a little bit what to expect at their individual villages. There's five of them. A um, bit of expectation management because there are some you know, differences in, in quality of accommodation, just getting their heads around that. Um, and also setting the scene with you know, our team Menaki, our cultures and values and you know, what our expectations are around them because you know, they all um, you, know, you have to have 
bit of structure when you've got a large team because there's another 160 or so uh, performance um, support and sport performance um, administrators, coaches, massage, doctor, psych, um, all going as well. So it's a team size is about 400 in total. It's quite large. Massive. It is massive. Absolutely is. Uh, Nigel, um, security, I imagine, uh, around these things is, is pretty big. Um, so I, I guess they'll have to, to get used to that side of it as well. But uh, the village itself, I mean, w- our last experience was uh, a COVID one uh, around about, um, you know, Tokyo, etc., cetera, and, and Beijing for the Winter Olympics, you know. And, 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 and to be fair, uh, pretty closed shop. Is this more open in terms of, um, you know, the, the ability to get out and about, you know, outside the village for the athletes to, to be in the community as such? Yeah, it's a very, very different experience to um, both Tokyo and Beijing where the, the whole nations or those nations were, were closed up largely and a very, very tight bubble for the athletes and, and no doubt the, the uh, volunteers and, and officials. And so the situation in the UK is very open in the public sense. Um, there are you know, very little or very little mandated controls. Uh, if you test positive, the recommendation is to stay home rather than, you know, please, you know, do stay home. So the challenge we have is um, balancing um, the athlete experience with, you know, with their performance. You know, and clearly we're there to perform, but we also want them to have a you know, have a great time doing it. And so we're really asking them to to not um, spend too much at, at all time outside of the village, um, where there are some controls put in place by both the organising committee and the NZOC. Um, just to mitigate the um, the chance of them being ill and also passing it on. To other athletes, because you know, fundamentally, you want to get everybody to the starting line uh, in a fit, healthy state. Um, so that's it's a, it's a, it's, a bit, it's going to be a bit of a challenge, I think, because I think there's yeah, it's moved to move from you know, every person, every day PCR testing to uh, if you are symptomatic, go and get testing. So in both cases, you're probably going to see some non-compliance, and so we, our expectation is the New Zealand team um, will comply with that, but I think other nations perhaps may not. And so um, and that could be at their peril because, you know, as I said, you know, to perform at your optimum, you've got to be you know, healthy, injury-free and um, not recovering from an illness. So, um, you know, I think if you want to take a no-stone-unturned approach, you follow the, the, the requirements at the villages, which is essentially wearing masks, you know, social distancing and sanitising. So it's, it's pretty simple, but um, uh, some athletes, as you know, you know, not, not too keen on that, <laughs> or people in general, yeah, sure. People in general, I think it's fair to say, uh, Nigel, a lot have had enough and they take any opportunity to, to get away from it. Hey, we haven't got time to go over all of uh, 22 sports, but the couple I'd like to chat to you in particular, I know that you have to stay relatively impartial and keep an open mind, but the weightlifting, weightlifting team looks quite exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, obviously, um, you know, spearheaded with um, David Leite, um, you know, and super heavyweight, he'll be going to, to back up his gold medal he got on the Gold Coast. Um, but you've got some other, you know, young talent as well that, you know, they're all, they, I think their nomination criteria was, you know, a top six potential placing. And it's one of those things on the day, uh, anything can happen in, in a weightlifting event as are other sports as well. But on the day, you know, I think we could see a few of them, you know, standing on the podium, which would be fantastic. Squash looks gr- uh, strong. We saw Paul Cole and Joel King uh, back to uh, New Zealand for a very brief time uh, picking up the national titles but uh, world rankings suggest uh, medals there in, in squash Well look they certainly don't, don't want to put any um, any curses on them but yeah they obviously very strong extremely tough competitors very seasoned and experienced um, yeah so yeah 
chances are we'll, we'll see some. They'll be bringing home a, a few um, metal-shaped souvenirs. We'll see them when they come home back to New Zealand too. But um, you know, you know, we've got very, very high hopes. You know, for them. Yeah, uh, obviously the, you mentioned the participation and the high numbers of uh, uh, women participating, dominating uh, the numbers this time around, and you mentioned the, the teams as well. Uh, the Blackburn Sevens, um, they they seem to love the pressure, and they'll be, I think, the number one seeds, wouldn't they? I think it looks that way. They they bounced back pretty well after a significant period without any competition, and I, I spoke with them, um, you know, uh, after they were selected, and, you know, they're all super excited, both both the men's and women's teams, uh, just so excited about getting out there. And and I think you know they may not have had as much competition as some of their you know international uh, um, you know fellow you know teams, but um, using momentum of, of that excitement um, to get to get out there and is, is, I think they're in a they're in a pretty good place. It's going to be very exciting to watch um, those competitions unfold. As we speak right now, the uh, Blacks, women's black sticks are currently playing in the World Cup as part of their preparations, are sitting at the top of Pool B at the moment. So uh, good signs there as well. And uh, last time around, I think the men won silver. Yeah, that's right. And, and look, I think, you know, same thing for the, with, with hockey. They've, they've been, you know, their competition's been very, very um, influenced and, and affected. And so this will be a massive... Um, uh, encouragement for them, you know, they're beating England, you know, drawing some you know, other top-seeded teams, and as far as preparation goes for for the Commonwealth Games, you know, what they're going through now is just absolutely ultimate. You know, they'll be you know getting tested against the very best in the world, knowing that all of those teams you know are not going to be at the Commonwealth Games. So, um, you know, I'm sure they'll they'll get a lot of confidence out of that. Yeah, very exciting for them. There will be history, of course, because uh, women have never taken part in the Commonwealth Games in the sport of cricket. T20 cricket is about to arrive in Birmingham. It's a cricket, it's a cricket uh, city anyway, because uh, England have just knocked over India on that very uh, surface. So uh, this is an exciting time. Uh, have you had a chance to, to talk to or catch up with anyone from the cricket area? Yeah, I have. Um, we went down to, they were in camp uh, in, in Tauranga, and so the Bay Oval, we went down and presented to them about what to expect um, for them in their village, and um, you know, talked to them about the team Manaki, and, and I think they are just super excited to be a team as part of a larger team. Um, they're really embracing um, you know, our Manaki, our team culture, and uh, just can't wait to get there, as, as we can't wait to welcome them in as well, so it's going to be uh, it's going to be fantastic, and, and you know, just history making to have them as part of the event. Obviously, teams are slightly different to individuals, and in that most teams have their own managers within the group anyway. But individuals tend not to; uh, they might have coaches. But uh, how do you look at um, when it comes to the management side of our team, individuals as opposed to teams, with your role? Um, it's it's no different really. Um, just liaising with um, with the team manager that are travelling with those individual sports athletes, um, and, and I guess you know they would have had I guess they, they've got the day to day contact. Um, and it, should anything sort of pop up that needs our assistance or help or encouragement, then then we liaise with the you know the team managers um, on that. So there's we just treat everybody everybody equally. Any one sport, Nigel, that you're uh, particularly looking forward to? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think I'm in a, an amazing position, very envious um, and super fortunate to, to have a little infinity symbol on my accreditation, which essentially means I can kind of go pretty much anywhere. And so I'll be getting a chance, you know, personally from a personal view to see a whole lot of sports I haven't seen up live, like, you know, wrestling and judo. 
Um, so I'm you know, super excited about that. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't um, excited about weightlifting um, and track and field, but um, also you know, just experiencing you know, the, the cauldron of, of a swimming uh, finals day will be amazing, as, as will the velodrome and, and down in London. So, um, yeah, personally very excited and looking forward to it. Um, you know, we've got high hopes um, for the team. Um, everybody seems to be fit and healthy, which is the main thing. And, um, you yeah, know, my, my goal really ultimately is to bring every one of those team members back home to their loved ones in a in a safe safe manner, in one piece, as it were. I would imagine with the Infinity Pass, though, comes the responsibility of a door open 24 hours of the day and a phone on 24 hours of the day. So... You might struggle for sleep a wee bit at times. Yeah, I've heard a few rumours that uh, they get a bit sleep deprived, but um, it's it's only for a relatively short period of time. So you know, just uh, work through that. But um, I, I think the um, you know the, the 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 amazing times and feelings will certainly outweigh the, the fatigue that, that we might we might get. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, just finally, Nigel, you've been. Um, You've been there uh, as a competitor, of, cro- of course, very experienced in that regard. Now you're going as a non-competitor as such. Looking forward to it just as much or more? Uh, it's, it's quite different, um, although in a funny way, I guess the, the, the process of building up to the event, which is I really, really enjoyed as a competitor, knowing you've got a pinnacle thing and all the, all the actions and uh, things you did to try and get the MB as best you can for that event. It's a similar process, but you're sitting in front of a computer more often not than holding onto a bar uh, you know, and lifting weights. And so, you know, the energy at New Zealand House and, and Parnell, you can just feel it lifting. So I've been travelling up here you know, for the last couple of months on a weekly basis, and the energy is really, really lifting now. And um, he's getting really excited getting into, into what they call games mode. And uh, I think there's a group of nine of us heading away on Friday, and then, then the next sort of few days after that, uh, all week, everybody will be on deck. Uh, ready to receive the first athletes into the village when that opens on the 22nd of July. I think it looks a very powerful team, just uh, running my finger over a number of the disciplines that you covered. I, I think uh, all going well without trying to put the mockers on anyone. I think you're going to um, have a, a decent old haul as well, Nigel. All the best. Uh, travel safely. I hope it goes well over there, and uh, we might have to catch up with you uh, when, the, when the medal tally starts to increase. I think we might have to have a chat to you at some point. But uh, all the best. Uh, stay safe and, and safe, safe and well, and enjoy it, eh? Yep, thank you very much, Ian, and uh, thanks for uh, having me on your show. Yeah, cheers. Nigel Avery there, folks. Uh, Shift the mission for the New Zealand Commonwealth Games team, and uh, they're off uh, very shortly to set up camp for our team in the village. Sounds like a, an amazing experience. Uh, I can jealous, actually. Something I've uh, never really got to go to or be around in Olympics or a Commonwealth Games, uh, except for the one I did in uh, Kuala Lumpur, and it was just so hot there that uh, all you wanted was air conditioning and go back to your hotel room, to be fair, and a cold beer. It is 10.18 here on SENZ. We have a panel coming up. SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Panel this morning consists of Sam Ackerman and uh, Aidan McLaughlin out of Hawke's Bay. Sam Ackerman, uh, plenty going on in the Warriors. There always is. We speak to you every week about the same sort of subjects, but this has been yet another remarkable week and no Reese Walsh anymore. Still think that there's something going on um, at uh, Mount Smart that works as some kind of 
wormhole time loop. They seem to manage to fit more into a week than most other um, sporting codes in this country can fit into a month as far as headlines and news and and things happening. It is, it's, it's phenomenal what's going on right now. I want to start off with, um, first of all, the experience being back at Mount Smart was special and it showed what this club can be again, hopefully, uh, in the future. I wouldn't expect sellouts all the time, but you can see there is still passion there and we've talked earlier in the year Smithy, that uh, the apathy was starting to creep in towards the Warriors, it's clear that that can be rubbed out if, if things go right. Now Reese Walsh leaving the club, let's be clear on the circumstances here, if uh, you know, touch wood, I was in a scenario where I'd be separated from uh, my young children if I was if I had to move, then I would look to change my circumstances to avoid that too I understand what that is, uh, he goes a year early because if anyone really thought Reese Walsh was going to be a long term warrior then I don't think they read the room very well for that. Um, is unfortunately he's getting out a year early, but I, I'm okay with the reasonings for it. I know we've given people a lot of stick about you know not realising that there's uh, games to be played in New Zealand, and I'm, I'm going to give the young man a little bit of a, a pass on that one. But the the scenario of getting uh, Chance Nicol Clockstar back in return, I'm going to and, and potentially uh, to Marty Martin in a swap with the Broncos to make uh, this happen. I've got to tell you, I'm okay with that. Reese Walsh is a real talent, but I don't think at this stage of his career it's fair to expect that talent to save the Warriors out of games. And the Warriors are the club that'll ask that of him, saying that the Knights ask of Kalen Ponga, and Kalen Ponga is a phenomenal talent, but he can't get the Knights out of trouble all the time. And being the pressure of being that guy is pretty excessive for a young man uh, like Walsh. So I like having uh, Nicol Klockstad, who's a, a solid performer. He's very talented, and he, he comes up with the goods on a regular occasion. He's helped get the uh, green machine to a grand final and a very big year that was for him. I'm, I'm happy with getting him back in here and same thing with Tamati Martin. I think that having a star player that everybody looks to and waits to do something for is counterproductive for the Warriors. They need to have a very strong side across the board. So in a funny kind of way, Smithy, I think that the Warriors potentially can be better on the field for it. Aidan McLaughlin uh, out of Hawke's Bay, uh, so away from the Warriors environment as such. Do you cut them any slack? Uh, 1,038 days they were out of New Zealand. 1,038 days. Can't think of too many people which would relish that uh, possibility, Aidan. Yeah, morning, Smithy. Morning, Sam. No, for sure. I mean, it's. Um, I think one of the, the issues uh, with this news about Reese Walsh is that it has happened barely 72 hours after that homecoming. And as you say, they were away from home for a long time. It was a great occasion. Um, and for this to follow on so quickly, we just we end up rolling our eyes again and talking about the things we don't want to be talking about when we should be talking about that homecoming and uh, then finally getting the victory on the board. OK, so, uh, Aidan, from your point of view, what have you made of the administration uh, at the Warriors? Um, is, it, <clears throat> is it time's up for them or uh, are they doing as good a job as they can under trying circumstances do they need a run of administration with a normal type season well i mean like sam alluded to i mean if these the circumstances that we're led to believe in this case of reese walsh are accurate then i do have sympathy for reese walsh and in turn i i, I have sympathy for the administration because um that's a certain set of circumstances where uh, you know, there's a, a relationship breakdown, there's a child involved, and the right thing for Reese Walsh is to move on. The unfortunate thing for the administration is that this seems to be just one thing after another after another. So at what stage do you turn around and say, OK, is this just a, a series of unfortunate coincidences? Or do you turn around and say, hey, there's something wrong here admin-wise? 
within the culture of the club that we need to that we need to address and it's getting to the stage now where i think there is something really within the administration side that they need to kind of strip back and start again because the the fans here are just suffering week after week after week if it's not one thing it's another and just when they think they start to turn a corner this turns up again interesting sam uh, are you happy with uh, the performance of cameron george are you cutting him any slack yeah, well, I am um, cutting a bit of slack. I think that he is, and I can tell you, he's the first to say that there have been uh, stuff-ups along the way and it has, has hardly been smooth sailing. I think the past three or four months have not been um, the, the the peak performance um, from, uh, well, front and back office, really, let's be fair. But the... What I will say is the, the, the circumstance we're talking about with Reese Walsh, for example, now that's how Chance Nickel Clock starts coming back to New Zealand, is that he's been given the opportunity uh, to be given that uh, emotional support and the, the ability by the Raiders to go back and play. Oh, he can't go anywhere. He wanted to go home. He wanted to be back home. And so they've allowed him that opportunity, um, where it's personal circumstances. Are the Raiders getting balled out? Are the, are the Raiders being called um, a, a misfiring bunch of administrators for allowing that to happen? Now there are there's been weeks and weeks of uh, mitigating circumstances, but I don't I don't think this one is a, is fair to throw on uh, throw in the Matt Lodge category. Matt Lodge was a, was a was a monumental stuff up, uh, and Nathan Brown was not the right choice as coach. And they've made that very clear that they they kind of get those uh, as as missteps as they are. The next coach will be interesting. We're hearing Andrew Webster, who is a former Warriors assistant. He knows the system, was there for an awful long time uh, and is obviously coaching at the uh, the Panthers and assistant, so learning his, um, learning his skills along the way with Ivan Cleary. So it's, a, it's an interesting scenario from where they go from here. And you mentioned about having a full year of normality under a belt. Well, unfortunately, they're still the Warriors, so there's no such thing as a full year of normality. But being a chance mm-hmm. to operate at a, at a head office, I think, would make um, a real difference. Okay, it's 10.30 here on SENZ. We've got Aidan McLaughlin and Sam Ackerman with us uh, this morning. We'll be back very shortly with uh, a number of other issues. Sam Ackerman, Aidan McLaughlin with us this morning. Uh, Aidan, the life of uh, Nick Kyrgios continues to unfold in front of our eyes um, and now it seems maybe he's doing the racket, do a little bit of talking. Comfortable straight sets win overnight and now Rafa Nadal in the semi-finals. Well, hopefully Rafa Nadal in the in the semi-final, Smithy. I hear he's um, that abdominal uh, injury that he's got. He's going to go and have some scans. But uh, given his history of playing through pain, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to take a lot for him not to appear in the semi-final. But uh, yeah, mouth-watering, isn't it? They've um, I, I had a wee look this morning. They've met nine times um, over about the last nine years or so. Uh, Nadal's won six. Kyrgios has won three, and they've both won. Uh, a game, a match each at Wimbledon against each other. So, so yeah, it's pretty tantalising, and they've got quite the history as well. Quite the, a few little uh, running battles and skirmishes over the years. So, yeah, it's mouth-watering. Hopefully it does take place. Saturday morning, uh, I think our time ran about to 3 o'clock, I, I hear anyway. Um, that probably will change, maybe 12.30. In fact, I'm hearing in my ear now. So, uh, so yeah, Kyrgios to Nadal. Where do you sit with... Uh, with Nick Kyrgios, um, uh, Sam Ackerman, do you, could you do without him, or do you think tennis needs him? Desperately needs him. Uh, uh, Nick Kyrgios has made Wimbledon this year interesting. Uh, at the start of this uh, this tournament, we'd had the the ranking points taken away, of course, with the uh, the players. 
uh, from Russia and Belarus banned, and so it became less of the, the ranking draw, but Wimbledon is still Wimbledon, so I thought, here we are, it's going to go on. We, we saw a couple of uh, early exits, and I, you can't tell me there's been a buzz around Wimbledon before Nick Kyrgios got things stirred up. It, it, it hasn't felt like Wimbledon or the special tournament it can be, in my opinion. So of the tennis tournaments, it's the one I was I remember most growing up, so I've, I've got an affinity for it and follow it closer than some of the other, uh, some of the other majors as well. But uh, I think Nick Kyrgios has been incredible for it. Uh, he's playing the type of tennis that catches the eye, uh, and he... He gets people divided, and what is you know what is uh, sport heroes if there's not good villains for them to go up against? And he loves it. He loves riling people up. He really enjoys it. I think I, I think that if he could find a another stage where he could rile people up and earn the kind of money he does instead of tennis, he'd go for that. I think that's his first love, and tennis is down the pecking order for him. He's a, a natural antagonist. Mm. He happens to be uh, a good athlete, and it brings the, it brings an emotion out in the crowd. You don't. It's not a. Uh, you don't see people sitting on their hands during a Kyrgios game. They're either suddenly swept up in Kyrgios fever, or they're cheering for the other guy to, to shut the upstart up. So I, I think he's wonderful for uh, for tennis because he's gone past the tanking phase into just being the obnoxious pest phase, and that's fine by me. I'll take an obnoxious pest uh, Nadal. Uh, sorry, uh, Kyrgios any day up against you know gentleman Nadal. It's going to be such a, a mix of emotion as Aiden says if it, it does transpire. Well, if it does transpire, Aidan, say, just say he won Wimbledon, it would be a remarkable story. But here's a guy who's, who, instead of um, coming home and trumpeting the fact that he's the Wimbledon champion, the first thing, apparently, what he's got to do is face a domestic assault charge. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, in a, in a, in a fortnight that he's, he's progressed so well at this tournament, and then suddenly, you know, we hear about this. Um, this charge back home as well. So, I mean, it's just, I guess it's typical of uh, the man, isn't it? You know, he just goes from one extreme to the other. He's got so many different aspects to his life and his career. Um, he's often said, you know, he's quite, he'd rather be sitting there playing computer games, wouldn't he? Um, I think he was quoted in one of the press conferences the other day where he said that there was a game a few years ago and he had to be dragged out of a bar at 4am because he had a game the next day. So, you know, he... he I think he cares deep down, but he certainly gives the impression that uh, there's plenty more to his life. And I guess this is just an, this charge, if, if proven to be uh, to be true, is just an unfortunate side of that. Uh, Aidan, the All Blacks about to be named. In fact, uh, less than an hour now. Uh, if you were Ian Foster, are you twisting or sticking in terms of uh, what you saw last week? Are you are you resting, rotating? I mean, no Sam Whitelock, we know, but w- w- what are you thinking? Um, I think at the start of the week I would have been sticking uh, mostly, but then Sam Whitelock and Tupu Vai uh, being unavailable has really changed it uh, quite significantly um, because I think that means that Scott Barrett has to come into the second row. So the knock-on effect then is who do you put at blindside? Uh, do you go for uh, Akira Yuani or do you go for uh, Dalton Papalihi? I think you heard earlier that it's Dalton that will, will get the nod. My gut feeling was that Akira would get it. Um, so, so that you know, that changes that forward pack significantly, especially when you take out someone like Sam Whitelock's experience. Um, in terms of the backs, well, David Harvey seemed before the series started to be the first choice second five, but Quinji Pai had a great game, didn't he? So, my 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 gut feeling says you stick with Quinji Pai, but it depends how much they want to get David Harvey into that starting lineup, um, and I think. It would be sensible to take the opportunity to put uh, Falao Fakatava on the bench. Uh, Finlay Christie done really well when he came on. But if you're going to introduce Falao Fakatava, 
where better to do it than in Dunedin with Aaron Smith, where they've done that time after time and formed a good combination as a starting and finishing uh, halfback. Sam Ackerman, uh, changes uh, I think will be minimal. Uh, what's it going to take for the country to really fall in love with Sam Kane and Ian Foster? Oh, I don't know. It's, I mean, it, when I was talking, thinking about what changes could be made to this team, and even thinking about the third test, should they go uh, 2-0 up, I mean, if, and they decide to give everybody else a run to kind of, as, as previous all-back coaches would have done, to take a look at different combinations. If, if they'd lost, if they lose a dead rubber test, I get the feeling that people will jump on their back and going, oh, they've given momentum away to, to Ireland again, and I, I, I don't feel they would have done that for previous coaches, so I feel like it's a real tough road for, to hoe for these guys at the moment. Uh, the only way they can win people over is to keep winning and to keep being dominant so I think that um, at this stage he's going to keep uh, Foster's going to keep naming, naming the strongest team he could and and Sam Kane's going to return to the type of form that made him the guy that people were thought was challenging Richie McCaw and, and, and the like so we, we need to see uh, that Sam Kane back we understand that through his, you know, through age and where he at, he's at, he's not there. If the All Blacks see him as a leader, if the players see him as a leader and he's achieving that result along the way, then you kind of need to cut him a little bit of slack. I think we should learn a little bit from the uh, the experiences we went through with Kane Randall and Reuben Thorne, um, where they just get attacked from pillar to post at all given times. They don't actually get a chance to do their job out there. He is not... He is not Richie McCaw. He is not uh, the guy who's standing out as the, the 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 leading number seven of his generation of the world right now. Whatever we want to say, but Sam Kane is the All Black captain, and he was uh, part of a team that won pretty comfortably against a, a good Irish side. So he, I, I I don't know what more they can do at the moment, Smithy. And, and yes, they can play better, and yes, they can do things better. But right now, and you know, if you're only as good as your last game, both of them are going pretty good. Uh, one of the interesting uh, things that came up yesterday, uh, Sam, was the announcement of uh, pay equity uh, on a match day for New Zealand women cricketers and New Zealand men cricketers. Uh, did that uh, catch you by surprise at all? Do you think uh, that's coming across the board in most sports now? I think that it's becoming a very common theme and any sport that isn't looking at that or isn't finding a way to reach something that has equity in its heart will be finding themselves out of step and there will always be the arguments as we saw in you know the women's football team, US women's football team coming out and saying well look we're more people interested in watching us than the men, why are they getting more than we are? If it comes down to those debates, then maybe it's uh, each, uh, horses for courses. But I think equity is the best move to go. And certainly uh, in, in sports where there is money being brought in, even if that money isn't being brought in by one gender or the other, reaching a stage of equity where they kind of all collaborate together makes the most sense. I can understand the, the commercial arguments, but we've, you know, we as a society have evolved beyond that just being a commercial thing now. Aidan, what's your take on it? Because uh, Sam brought up a point there uh, in terms of uh, who would you, who would you rather watch, and certainly in the case of the US women's football team, that was their principal argument. We're more popular, they said. More people watch us. We we deserve as much as, if not more, than they do. Uh, New Zealand women's cricket team couldn't have that argument. No, I mean, well, first of all, I wasn't hugely surprised when I heard about the uh, the new pay deal. Um, I think, despite the fact that New Zealand cricket have uh, had some criticism over the last few months for various reasons, including the uh, 
the Amy Satterthwaite um, issue. Um, I, I have sensed for a while now that they wanted to get to this point, and I know that uh, the Players Association have been, been working with New Zealand cricket for quite some time to, to reach this point, but uh, it was good to get it bedded down and good to see it actually formally announced. I mean, I, I'm of the view that um, if, if you lead and if you uh, give women the opportunity by giving them equal pay, um, then hopefully the performances and the exposure and the attraction to the audience will follow. I mean, we're in a situation now where there's more women's cricket on TV than there has been before uh, through the Super Smash and through White Ferns, um, free-to-air, etc., etc. So I think this is the next logical step. And what we want to see is we want to now see them take on board um, a new coach, a new environment, a new deal, and actually bring those performances through in the park, get some improvement, and then they can really get the public behind them. Mm, very interesting. Uh, Aidan McLaughlin uh, has been with us this morning. Sam Ackerman also. They've been the panel. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your input on uh, those variety of subjects. Yeah, rugby league, uh, top of the bill at the moment across the board. It is uh, 10.43 here on SENZ, and, of course, tomorrow morning around the same time, we shall have our last panel for the week. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's Harness Racing New Zealand Pacing for Purpose Season 2. Yes, indeed it is. And uh, our charity, of course, is uh, Women's Refuge. like to give them as much money as possible. So tomorrow we need our uh, horse to get up. And the horses uh, race for at Addington Friday. Uh, number six, Geordie, a recent winner who could be in the winner's circle. Uh, again, just need the right run, but worth an investment. So that's race four, number six, Geordie, uh, and that's uh, Addington on Friday. Uh, I've got a text in from Craig saying, uh, Morena, everybody uh, on the show. Baz must be hot favourite to win the Halberg Coach of the Year. What a delicious irony if he was to be presented with this award by Sir Russell Coates. <laughs> it might be Sir Brendan McCullum. He might get an English knighthood by then. Uh, so, yeah, it w- that would be interesting. It, it would indeed. And uh, does he, in fact, uh, qualify? I guess he does. He's coaching. Uh, he's a New Zealander coaching. So does he actually qualify? Uh, and would you support um, him to be nominated in that regard, considering he just whopped us 3-0? It might not go down too well. There's certainly irony in that, isn't there? What do you think about that, Logan? Sorry, yeah, I definitely had a question about that as well because he is a coach, a New Zealand coach, but he's not coaching a New Zealand team or, uh, you know, New Zealand athletes. So, yeah, I just wonder around the criteria there. I know there's a lot of uh, speculation and hate when it comes to Halberg time. It would be great to see uh, Baz to get that kind of recognition because, I mean, we hear from Dean Wilson, Tim Wigmore, we get people like that on the show, just how much he's transforming that team. I mean, it would be great if he could get some recognition, but like you said, because he's doing it against us, perhaps not. Okay, well, here's the thing. Uh, so, Okay, so Lydia Coe's uh, been... Uh, uh, you know, every year, annually, Lydia Ko makes the, the last four. Lydia Ko is actually plying her trade. Her job is to play golf, right? She does it overseas the whole time. Doesn't do it at home. Uh, every now and then she might play for New Zealand at the Olympics or whatever, but by and large she's playing as an individual. Brenda McCullum now, his, his job is a, a sports coach, a cricket coach as such. Not coaching us, not doing it here in New Zealand, but doing it overseas. What's the difference? What's the difference and why would he not qualify in that category? Uh, you make a very good point, Smithy. You make a very good point. 
Maybe a talkback uh, subject tomorrow, actually. We might uh, just jot, jot that one down as uh, something that we can perhaps talk about tomorrow. Uh, should Baz be in the running for a Halberg? It's 10.51. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. The host of The Good Oil joins us now, of course, uh, every Saturday from 1pm onwards. Uh, Mark Clado and his team will look after you. And Clado, uh, I've got to ask you about Ashburton today, 11 races uh, and all. And Michael McNabb, I've, I've just did a quick tot-up, uh, has got 10 rides today. Even though he's confirmed as winning, man, he's not uh, getting away from the action. No, especially when you've got Lisa all press breathing down your neck, Slitty. Good morning to you and all your listeners. Yeah, no, good on Michael. He's going to ride the season out. So, yeah, just put it beyond doubt because, hey, Lisa can pick up a couple of days where she can get five or six. So, yeah, just want to make sure. Have you got anything for us down there or are you more looking at the weekend now? Oh, look, we're looking at something every day, Smithy. Um, there's a couple of nice ones we like today. Race 7, the best today, I reckon, where's Wally? He's around $4.70. Um, just needed that another 100 metres or so last start. He would have been a winner. So where's Wally, race 7, he's around $4. Um, you almost get a run for your money. But race 10, Yamuna, uh, number 4, at around 5 and 2. So great each way value. And seeing, those, uh, seeing the other Andrew Carson runner, Quite a bit of value. Race six. It was pretty unlucky last start. Should have run on the money, and that was Vulture Street. Okay, Vulture Street. We'll keep an eye on that one, uh, Clado. Myself, there's one one you might want to look at too. Uh, it's a bit of a centre one, sentimental one for me on the naming side of it. But I think it's due to win. It's Pitman Horse and Michael McNabb's on it. It's called Benno. Keep an eye on that Benno today oh. at Ashburton. Okay, Clado. So uh, yeah, we'll. We're just waiting for uh, Pip Morris to join us as well. So, Clayto, thank you very much uh, for your time this morning. Um, and if we can get hold of Pip, I'll ask her uh, very quickly about uh, the Greyhounds coming up today and any of the sports bets going around. Uh, All Blacks, I think, into about a dollar fifteen, uh, and that's pretty short, very, very short indeed. So, um, I, I would Im- imagine there's um, value to be had on Ireland with maybe a point start. But uh, Pip's with us now. Thank goodness for that. Cambridge and uh, Addington today. Pip, how are you involved, and uh, have you got anything for us? Good morning, Chris Smithy. I'm calling the full card again at Cambridge, so uh, just heading down there today and looking forward to it. Yeah, 11 race program, really nice distance on the card as well, Smithy. Thrilling turn, up against thrilling rows, of course. Uh, both of them really good over the trip, so I think they'll be fighting it out for Karen Walsh and made my best bet in race number two, Smile a Wild for Tracy and Lisa Craig. I think it's a really nice play there and some value in the first around Ice White Luna. And of course, on the sports side of things, too, only the small uh, week was fire round for the NRL, but some really nice plays there. Don't forget about that same game multi that you can play in. So, place a three leg or more multi on any of the NRL matches there. And if you miss by one leg, you can get a bonus bet up to $50. And there's also some really nice bonus plays there. So check out the power plays and that available on tab.co.nz. Plenty to look forward to. Good on you, Pip. Really looking forward to hearing your call another card. So history last week and backing up this week as well. And with Trevor Wilkes um, 
hanging up the microphone very shortly. Pip Morris is going to be in hot demand. There's no doubt about that. So uh, we'll look forward to that. I look forward also to talking to Peter O'Reilly after the break. He was an Irish rugby journalist uh, with the Sunday Times. What about the island camp? What about the Irish? And the All Blacks naming in the next hour as well. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.03 here on SENZ and the All Blacks side to face Ireland and Dunedin. This Saturday night is due to be named in uh, around about half an hour's time. We'll have it for you as soon as we possibly can. Questions about uh, where Scott Barrett is uh, going to uh, be playing this time around with Sam Whitelock unavailable. Patrick Tuopoloto rushed into the side. Uh, plus there's been uh, a number of backs returning after COVID absence, uh, absences last weekend. But uh, there are questions uh, about the All Blacks. But what about Ireland? Uh, and let's uh, find out a little bit more about uh, what we expect from them second time around. I'm really excited to introduce our next guest to you, who is touring New Zealand covering the Irish team for the Sunday Times. His name's Peter O'Reilly, and Peter and I have uh, a little bit of history. We played cricket against each other back in Downpatrick and in Belfast back in 1990 in two one-day internationals. And uh, so uh, it's great uh, that I can finally uh, catch up with Peter. I haven't seen him since uh, those days, about, what, 32 years ago. Peter, a uh, really warm welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for your time. Hello. Hello, Peter. Yeah, I I'm hope here. you can I hope you can hear me. I'm just saying, uh, welcome, welcome to the show, Peter, and and, and thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us. Oh, delighted to be on the show, Ian, and, and uh, nice to hear your voice. Um, uh, happy memories of uh, of playing against those uh, the, that New Zealand team in uh, in 1990. Um, so yeah, lovely, lovely to be on the show. Thank you. Peter, uh, you uh, will get to that shortly. I, I was just going to say you're part of a very large Irish media contingent uh, over here for this particular tour. So I would imagine there were r- relatively high hopes uh, when you set off. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a year out roughly from from the World Cup, um, and there's great expectation uh, around this Irish team, given that. Um, they performed pretty well in the Six Nations, um, coming second in the Six Nations, and obviously um, beating beating the All Blacks the previous November. Um, so yeah, well, there's a, there's a reasonable media contingent out there. I wouldn't say we came out with high hopes necessarily, but um, you know there was talk about maybe creating history by um, by becoming the first Irish team to win on on uh, New Zealand soil against the All Blacks. Um, mind you, you know, if you look at history, um, the chances of that happening were always uh, against Andy Farrell's team. Um, but still, the two more games to go, so you never know. Well, that was exactly his attitude, actually, when I, I spoke to him uh, shortly after the game. He said, it's only 1-0. Um, and, and I'd imagine they've taken that attitude into their preparations this week. Look, they started the game so well last week, uh, Peter, and everyone thought, well, hello, this is Ireland after all these days. Uh, and then it fell apart. Could could you put your finger on why why they had that that terrible patch for for fifteen or so minutes that effectively cost them the game? Yeah, I thought there were there were two big moments. Uh, um, first was around fourteenth or fifteenth minute um, when there was a scrum penalty against Ireland, uh, probably just on the edge of the New Zealand the third of the pitch. Um, now there had been suggestions from right from the first scrum of the game. That Andrew Porter was in a bit of bother on on the loose head side, um, so basically 
we were, I was sitting beside my um, colleagues in the in the the press box when when um, Ireland were given a free kick uh, after the All Blacks had, had closed the gap at the line-out. And there was a bit of a sigh from my colleagues alongside me because we thought, here's a situation where you've, you've, you're on or bound to take the scrum almost. But we knew that, that there was a possibility that we'd be under pressure there. And so it proved. So that was a big momentum swing. I thought you could see how happy the, uh, the All Blacks were to win that penalty. And then about 10 minutes later, Johnny Sexton's departure. Um, everything sort of fell apart uh, around that time. And you wouldn't want to put it all down to his departure, but I don't think it was purely coincidental. It, it tells us story how reliant Ireland are on uh, a player who is 37. Uh, so he's, he's incredibly important to Ireland. You might argue too important, but then um, when you have an outstanding player, uh, who won't carry on to the World Cup? You've got to use him. So, but it's unfortunately it came unstuck last Saturday when uh, he took that now. Okay, let's look at uh, what Andy Farrell has available to him this week. We're hearing uh, Sexton has been deemed fit to play. He's passed his uh, his protocols as such. Maybe not so the case for Dave Heffernan, who looked decidedly groggy after only about a couple of minutes on the pitch. What what are you looking at? Uh, in terms of what uh, you think Andy Farrell might do this week? Um, I don't think there'll be too, too many changes, Ian. I think uh, uh, he um, he might make a change in the back three. There's talk about Mac Hansen uh, coming in for Keith Earls. Uh, Mac, you super rugby viewers would, would maybe remember from uh, playing for the Brumbies. Uh, he has since relocated to Galway. Uh, he has a mother from Cork, so he He's, um, he has played for Ireland a few times and made a good impression. So he, he may come in at 14. Um, there's a, going to be an enforced change at Hooker on the bench, as you mentioned, with Dave Heffernan being ruled out through concussion. So Rob Herring, the Ulster Hooker, is really the only option there. So he, he's probably going to come in on the bench. Um, and there may also be a, a change at the, the cover for, for tight head with Finley Bealham coming in. Uh, we'll know that for definite later this afternoon, but I don't think there's going to be many changes. I think it's going to be a question of just trying to uh, improve performance on last Saturday. There's no real easy beats on, on this tour. You're, you're here for five matches, uh, of course, three test matches and two encounters against uh, the Maori All Blacks. So, uh, and the physicality levels are going to be constant in those all those five games. Did you under-budget? Uh, do you feel that you, Ireland might have under-budgeted uh, in terms of the, the the number of players that you brought? Yeah, that's that's a big talking point back home. Uh, Andy, Andy Farrell will sort of counter that by saying that he wanted to... He wanted to put the squad under pressure, um, if you like, to mimic um, the intensity that you get during a, a World Cup campaign. Um, and there are times when people have to back up. Um, they have to play two games in a week, perhaps, or they have to feature in two games in a week. Um, the problem is that when you try and do this in New Zealand, you put yourself under huge pressure because it's not like you can just get somebody here in you know in a couple of hours. Um, and in France next year, obviously, it will be easier for Ireland, Ireland players to be called in. Um, uh, uh, well, that that's actually it raises a different question about what can and can't happen during a World Cup. Um, so I think you know Farrell has he he um, he tried to manage expectations before departure by saying that um, that Ireland will win regardless of the results. That they will they will learn something about themselves and that, that they can't lose if you like. However, you know I'd say within their own kind of group, within their own chat, 
that they will feel that if they don't go home without at least one win, that uh, it'll be seen as a bit of a failure. So that, that puts enormous pressure on, on them to, to deliver a, a big performance this Saturday. Okay, uh, you've been with this uh, Irish uh, rugby side for uh, coming up 30 years now in terms of being a journalist. Uh, during that time, of course, you've had a number of coaches, uh, some New Zealand ones. The, the latest one, of course, was, was Joe Smith. Uh, can you tell us a, a wee bit uh, how Joe Smith is regarded, particularly uh, with a view towards how Ireland are playing now? Uh, yeah, I th- Joe's really um, is really uh, popular still in Ireland. I mean, they say that you uh, how you finish will will dictate how you're remembered, and and he didn't have a great finish with Ireland because we. I suppose we sort of peaked maybe a year out from the world, the last World Cup in Japan, and uh, as, as All Blacks fans will remember, um, Ireland didn't really turn up at the, in the quarterfinals. But um, that was uh, not representative of, of, of Joe Schmidt's time in Irish rugby. He, he arrived uh, at Leinster in 2010. He finished up in, in 2018. So he was with Leinster and Ireland for pretty much the guts of a decade and became i would say it's it's reasonable to say that he was almost a national treasure uh, um by the way the success that he achieved with leinster and then with ireland um and also by the way that he carried himself um but he he transformed uh, irish rugby's expectations of itself um by the levels of professionalism that he brought in but he also yeah. he also managed to uh to gain the affection of of the whole country the whole Sporting country, if you like, by his appearances on television, by his um, the way that he he um, uh, also that he used to go around uh, lots of clubs uh, and, and appear, do Q and A's, things like that, without charging any money. He uh, saw that as part of his job to to spread the gospel of Irish rugby, if you like. Um, so he's very he's very uh, warmly remembered. Um, and if you talk about, I mean, we spoke to Johnny Sexton about about Joe last week um, coming into the first game. And uh, he said that, you know, he, he credited with uh, Schmidt with getting Irish players to believe that they could actually beat the All Blacks, uh, which was something that was a bit of a psychological block there. But for 2016, uh, we, had a, we had a very close call against the All Blacks in, in, in 2013 uh, in the Aviva Stadium. And that became um, a sort of a, a launch pad, if you like. There was almost a, a sense of purpose that if, we, if, if, if Irish rugby was going to go to the next level, that the All Blacks were the team that had to be beaten. And uh, he achieved that not once but twice with Ireland. Mm. So he's very fondly remembered and um, he's always welcome back in Ireland. So uh, in that regard, just following on from that, um, what about the, the regard for Andy Farrell at the moment? Is the, is the jury very much still out on him? Um, I'd say if you go back about uh, 12 months, then the answer was very definitely yes. There were uh, big question marks about um, Ireland's failure to move on to, uh, for Farrell to, to put his, his, a very obvious stamp on the way that Ireland played. And, and such was, was Joe Schmidt's influence that there was also there was a kind of a period after his, his, um, his finishing up where uh, Ireland had to uh, find a new way of, uh, of getting out of certain habits. Um, and those weren't necessarily bad habits. It was just that uh, Ireland had become very, um, uh, I suppose they'd been looked at very closely by opposition teams and they had to come up with a, diff- a different plan. 
Um, and Farrell and Mike Cat did eventually come up with um, perhaps a more uh, adventurous way of playing. If you look back to the game in November, uh, Ireland's attack was really what stood out. Um, the, the way in which they uh, kept the All Blacks guessing with the number of short passes, the number of different running lines and things like that. Uh, I think Farrell also made a good uh, a good appointment by bringing Paul O'Connell in as his line-out and mm. kind of collision coach, if you like. Um, so Farrell is uh, safe in his job regardless of what happens on this tour. Um, he's um, By beating the All Blacks last November and by finishing a close second to France in the Six Nations, his credit rating's gone way up. So uh, if... Could uh, if he could become the first Ireland coach to to win New Zealand, um, he'd go uh, up even further. But um, that's a big ask, like we said previously. Really looking forward to uh, Saturday night. Uh, I think Ireland will give this one a, a, a really good uh, shake. Uh, Peter, uh, we're we're going to talk. Uh, ask you to put your other hat on now and, and just reminisce a wee bit with me because. Uh, two of uh, I only played Ireland in Ireland twice. It's the only time I've actually been to Ireland was uh, there, and I really only went to Belfast and to, just down the road to Downpatrick, of course, back in 1990. You were part of the uh, Irish side that played in those games. One of my memories is all the secure when we played at Downpatrick, all the uh, British uh, soldiers and the artillery, etc., the tanks um, and the armoured vehicles which were outside the ground, which to us was completely and utterly foreign, of course. It was quite, uh, for some, it was quite unnerving. But one of my memories of that was that occasion, um, and yet it was life that you were pretty much used to. Well, to be honest, it was a different country um, for, for me as a Dubliner. Um, I remember that, that aspect, uh, and I remember also um, how well researched uh, the Kiwi players were on that tour. Um, um, they had obviously done. You'd obviously done your homework. Um, you knew you were coming into what was effectively a war zone. But uh, as a Dubliner, even though Belfast is only two hours up the road, um, it was almost like you know it felt would have felt like we were going into a different country as well. We weren't used to it as, as Southerners. But uh, cricket, like rugby, is a what we call a, it's an all island sport. It's um, a 32 county sport. So I was used to playing cricket with and against guys from the north. Uh, but the, those guys would have grown up with that. Um, funny story, I remember uh, after the first game in Dan Patrick, um, at that time, certainly the following year in, at the Rugby World Cup, um, those particular All Blacks had a reputation for being sort of uh, uh, unapproachable. It may have been, I think Grizz Wiley was the coach at the time, but they weren't the friendliest bunch. But you guys were incredibly outgoing. And uh, I remember the, uh, it was Martin Sneddon came up to me in the bar and uh, bought me a drink um, as soon as we arrived in the bar after the game. And he asked me uh, an interesting question. He said, because uh, he knew that obviously the, the, the conflict in Northern Ireland went back to a religious divide. So he wanted to know uh, on, on the QT, he wanted to know how many of our team, the Ireland team, were Catholics and how many were Protestants. Uh, and to be honest, I had to think about it for a minute because it wasn't something that really was important to me. But when I looked when I looked around the bar and I did a quick head count, uh, I realised, I said to Martin, I said, well, I think you're looking at the only Catholic on the team because I had been brought up as a Catholic. And it turned out that he had he was the only Catholic on the New Zealand team. We were having a chuckle <laughs> about this because, you know, it, uh, I was amazed that he was, uh, he was so aware of this. Um, but I... 
I also I remember that it was a it was an exceptional New Zealand team that you were part of. Uh, guys like Martin Crow, uh, Sir Richard Hadley. Um, so Irish cricket at the time was strictly amateur. So the, the contests were very one-sided. I was looking back at the uh, the score sheet there. I see from, um, from the the game the scorecard from the game in Belfast that you actually got a wicket. Um, stumped Perora, Bull Smith, which I think uh, maybe tells a story about how competitive those games were. <laughs> hey, hey, steady on, steady on. I was quite handy. I did a lot of bowling in the nets, Peter. To be fair, but you, you actually, you actually uh, removed Mark Greatbatch and Ken Rutherford. What do you remember about that? Um, well, I do. Yeah, Greatbatch was um, he was ranked pretty highly at the time. So that's a that's a prized wicket. I didn't get too many wickets for for Ireland. Didn't play that often, really. But when people ask me uh, about who you got out, you know, how many Test players did you get out? I do mention Great Batch. Um, but what I remember more about Mark was um, that he was great fun. Uh, his nickname, as you'll know, was uh, was Paddy. Um, I think because something to do with being taken away in the paddy wagon when he was a student. Um, <laughs> but he he was uh, he was fantastic. Come. Uh, he was another guy who uh, who came to us, you know, in the in the bar afterwards. We didn't have to go to to him. Uh, he was really outgoing. Um, but I remember also that there was a there was a reception uh, one evening and uh, getting to talk to to Richard Hadley about you know scene positions and and he he was he was so giving with his uh, his his knowledge and uh, he was very friendly as well. So very happy memories of that trip. I hope you do too, Ian. Yeah, I do, actually. Uh, it's unique. And, and um, when I talk to people about um, my times in cricket, it's right up there, um, the experience uh, of being there in that time, around that time, <clears throat> and enjoying the, the the amateur side of it. And, you know, I remember actually one of my, my great memories is uh, we were chasing uh, in terms of the first game at Downpatrick. Uh, so we were chasing around 140, 150, and uh, I was batting, I think, uh, eight or nine. Uh, and uh, we had lunch, and the lunch was uh, prepared uh, in the room there by uh, some some wonderful Irish women. Uh, and of course, uh, we never left. We never left. Uh, I think Martin Sneddon was with me because he was batting behind me. And we all we did was talk about uh, Irish life. Um, we we cursory glance at the scoreboard every now and then just in case we were close to getting involved. But to be fair, it was the most it was the most amazing like two and a half hours. Uh, talking to these uh, these wonderful women who you know had their own experiences of far removed from uh, a cricket ground, being women uh, around the Belfast scene. So that uh, to me was one of my my great memories, uh, Peter. I, and one of the reasons uh, I also wanted to talk to you today uh, about the cricket is, of course, we we play Ireland this this weekend. We've got uh, three one day internationals. It's now long now no longer an amateur setup that you played in. What chance Ireland of upsetting um, a slightly understrength New Zealand side? Well, Ireland would be pretty, feeling pretty good about themselves uh, just at the moment um, because they played two one days, uh, sorry, two T20s actually against uh, against India in Dublin at the same ground in in Malahide, which is uh, just outside Dublin, uh, the same the same ground uh, uh, where New Zealanders will play on Sunday, uh, and they actually. You know, it wasn't. It obviously wasn't a full-strength Indian team because they had a Test match uh, against against England at around the same time. 
but you had a lot of these young IPL stars playing and uh, and Ireland pushed them close in both games um interestingly from from a from a Kiwi perspective uh, we've just uh, Ireland have just hired a, a new national coach in Heinrich Milan who's a who's a South African but who, who has kind of come through the New Zealand coaching system from from what I understand he he spent a bit of time mm. coaching Auckland and also Central Districts, I think. Um, yeah. I believe he's he's highly regarded. Um, so, you know, the way you get a bit of a bounce from a new coach who brings in new ideas, new energy. He's quite, you know, he's quite a young guy. Um, so it's it's still a uh, it's still a minority sport in Ireland. But the guys who represent us at national level are are professionals. And uh, I think that we would look upon the black caps as as being almost a sort of the the model for what can be achieved um, with a relatively small relatively small playing population. Um, so New Zealand they, they played in in Dublin a few years ago, and I remember uh, that it was that the, the Kiwis won, but it was reasonably competitive. I would imagine certainly more competitive than uh, than the games we played against each other. So. Uh, um, now, New Zealand are ranked one in, in, in the ODI ICC rankings, um, so it's you know it's not a game that Ireland would would expect to win, but they would definitely expect to be competitive, especially on the on their own turf. Well, uh, Peter, it's been great uh, catching up with you. Um, what I will uh, endeavour to do is I won't be in Dunedin, but I certainly will be in Wellington. I've got your number and. Uh, I think I owe you uh, at least a beer because it, it doesn't sound like I came up and bought you a beer all those years back in uh, Belfast, and it probably it's, it's my it's it's probably my turn. So I, I will make contact with you in Wellington, and we'll endeavour to catch up on one of those uh, two nights around the Test match. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your insight into both the rugby and the cricketing side of things. Uh, and uh, Pleasure, good Ian. luck, go Ireland. Go Ireland. Go Ireland this weekend. I think they'll go really, really close. That's my pick. Uh, Peter O'Reilly, okay. there, folks, um, from the Sunday Times. Right there, a rugby writer, of course, a former cricket international, did some cricket writing, and then, of course, uh, was asked to take over the rugby portfolio, which he has done, and I think he's been doing it uh, for around about uh, 25 to 27 years now. So a rich history in Irish rugby. We shall be back uh, uh, very shortly. We'll have a uh, we'll have an ad break, then we'll come back very quickly. Um, because I've got uh, to invite you to do uh, Stump Smithy around that time and then we'll have the news and then we'll have the actual Stump Smithy after that. It was a long interview but I loved every second of it. It is 11.25. Bought in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's uh, coming up to 11.30 here on SENZ uh, and uh, an opportunity to invite you to call on 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811. It's time to play Stump Smithy and that uh, is for a $50 voucher from the TAB. So uh, get on the lines there. We're expecting as we speak the team, the all-black team for the second test to come through. We'll name that as soon as it does. Uh, We've also got a couple of texts here to read out in the next uh, half hour or so as well. Uh, a couple for you to think about. Uh, Baz should not he should not be nominated for Coach of the Year. Lydia Co plays golf tournaments. She has New Zealand by her name. Brenda McCullum at the moment, of course, has England. Interesting uh, thought there. Uh, here's Araha with uh, the 11.30 news.
Well, that is, of course, the breaking news theme. The news is that uh, Logan has got uh, the All Black team for the second Test match uh, at his disposal. Uh, please, for, if you're waiting on the line to stump Smithy, we'll only be a couple of minutes away from taking your calls there as well. So hang in there. But uh, first of all, the pressing news. Any changes? Uh, and read the team out for us, uh, Logan. Oh, there is a few changes, Smithy. I think you're going to like this team. We're starting first in the in the front row. George Bauer, Cody Taylor, Offa Tonga Fassi in the locks, Brody Retallick and Scott Barrett at five. Right. And then in the loose four trio, Dalton Papali'i, Sam Kane and Artie Savir. Of course, uh, Nagi, Aaron Smith, halfback, Bowden Barrett at 10, Lester Fanganuku on the 11, Quintu Pai, Enrico Ioani are in your centres, Sever Reese and Jordi Barrett there at fullback. And then on the bench, Smithy, you have Samasoni Takiaho, Aidan Ross, who is set to make his All Blacks debut off the bench there, Angus Ta'aval, Patrick Tuipolotu, who's come in hot, Peter Gus Sobakula, Falau Fakatava, Richie Mwanga, and Will Jordan. Okay, so Fakatava in for an All Black debut as well. Will Jordan back from uh, COVID, so uh, that's interesting in terms of the backs uh, and uh, also in the forwards. Of course, Scott Barrett hopping across to um, the locking situation, and instead of Akira Yuani, who still not might not be a hundred percent fit by the by the by, they're going to go for two out and out uh, sevens really with Dalton Papaletti and Sam Kane playing side-by-side side on a fast track under the roof uh, at Dunedin, an unchanged back line by the, my recognition, just a quick uh, look at that. But uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll have another look at that uh, very shortly and a, a wee bit of a chat about it, plus we'll have a greyhound uh, of the week for you. But uh, now it's the important business that we play every day. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. And Ian Smith, I am still buzzing over that interview we just had with Peter O'Reilly. If you missed it, make sure you go check out uh, our podcast for SCNZ Mornings, either on the SCNZ app or wherever you get your podcasts, because that was an awesome one. Very eye-opening. I love hearing those stories. You know, um, I'll, I'll say it, <laughs> not really before my time. I was alive, but definitely too young <laughs> to remember. Uh, so great to hear that. But of course, we are playing Stump Smithy. I for grabs today, $50 TAB bonus bet. And uh, joining us first up. Up at the crease, we have Shane from Dunedin. Come in, Shane. Yeah, morning. Yeah, morning to you, Shane. Now, uh, I, I was going to say, what's the weather like? But it doesn't matter uh, for the for the rugby, of course, because it's uh, under the roof there. But what's are you sensing the test matches around the corner? Have you got the feel in Dunedin? Oh, definitely. Yeah, starting to build. It's um, it's pretty exciting. Not seeing rugby for a while, but uh, having said that, I think uh, Ireland at fifteen and a half points head start are a get on all day. I think they are too. I, I really do believe that it was only, uh, it was only really a, a quarter of an hour horror patch for them, where the All Blacks dominated that that took them away from that game. And boy, their second half performance tells me fifteen and a half points is uh, a real, a real possibility. Shane, as is your chance to win the the, the TAB voucher this morning. So, uh, what are the subjects, please, Logan? At least we already know where that money might go on if you win, Shane. Today's topics are rugby league, golf and basketball. Take your pick. Oh, we better take league. Thanks, mate. <laughs> okay, rugby league. It's almost a default when I put it in. <laughs> All right, first question for you, Shane. Who is the current leading point scorer in the NRL this season? Mm. Oh, I'll say Pepinhausen. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. 
No, not the flying mullet, Smithy. Nathan Cleary? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Both very good guesses. Uh, Pappenhausen is actually second on 137. First with 149 for the Cowboys, Valentine Holmes. Wow, okay, Valentine Holmes. Goodness me. Okay, well, that's one to Shane. <laughs> Se- default. Second question for you, Shane. Which NRL club did Tamari Ma- uh, Tamari Martin sorry, make his debut with in 2016? Hmm. Please say the Warriors. One of the worst things I have ever seen <laughs> done on a cricket field. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing him in a Warriors jersey, to be fair, Smithy. Yeah, if that's a possibility, I suppose it is. Has, has anyone asked him if he wants to come back? I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, his, um, here's the answer for me then. Uh, I'm thinking that he started in a Raiders jersey, Canberra. One of the worst things I have ever Thanks. seen done on a cricket field. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the correct answer is the Penrith Panthers. He made his debut in round three there in 2016, playing at 5'8 against the Brisbane Broncos. So, Shane, you're still alive. Last question, the $50 TAB bonus bet up for grabs. Andrew Webster has been linked with the Warriors' head coaching role. Who was the head coach of the Warriors when Andrew last worked with the club? Or say Nathan Cleary. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. He would have been well, way Shane, too I, young. <laughs> I hate... I hate to do this to you, Shane, but I think I know this because I read it in an article yesterday about Andrew Webster and his time with the Warriors. He was assistant coach, I believe, to Andrew McFadden. That's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Wow, there you go, Smithy. A stumping for Thursday, so we're up to $100 for Friday. How about that? Yeah, we're pretty happy about that. Uh, bad luck, Shane. Enjoy the rugby over the weekend. Brian from Nelson, have a crack tomorrow morning, mate, and you'll have a chance to win uh, $100 worth of product for the TAB going into the weekend. Uh, we'll come back uh, from this break. Uh, we'll have uh, our Greyhound uh, for the week in terms of raising money to, for Women's Refuge. Uh, and, of course, the other thing that uh, we'll talk about and uh, re-announce that, that all-black team and have a quick discussion about that as well as a couple of texts. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's the Great Greyhound Racing New Zealand charity run. Yes, it is. Uh, Join us each week as we uh, try to raise funds for four New Zealand charities. Ours is, of course, uh, Women's Refuge. Uh, all thanks to Greyhound Racing New Zealand. Uh, ours, uh, our Greyhound this week is uh, right on Ramsey. It's race six, number eight, uh, at Addington tonight at 6.01. Okay, so uh, right on Ramsey, race six, number eight at Addington tonight. Uh, you can tune in, uh, incidentally, here on SENZ every Sunday from 11 o'clock till 12 for Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. Now, this is hosted by two legendary Greyhound experts, uh, Mark Rosanowski and Andy McCook. Uh, you won't miss a beat uh, with Greyhound Racing New Zealand's Dog Speed. I actually listened to um, a portion of the show last week where Rosa was uh, talking to Trevor Wilkes. Uh, and Trevor Wilkes, long time, long time Greyhound caller down there uh, in the, the Canterbury area. Uh, not enjoying the best of health, uh, Trevor Wilkes. Uh, so he's taking some time out from calling. 
hopefully uh, he might just be able to get back into it and uh, clear the health issues up. We wish him all the best for that because he's uh, an out-and-out legend of uh, the Greyhounds and has been around such a long time. And, of course, uh, along with Peter Early up in the north, it uh, was uh, quite uh, uh, two great servants, great sen- uh, servants to uh, the greyhound racing industry. So uh, wish uh, them both all the best, actually, uh, Peter Early and uh, Trevor Wilkes. Right, uh, let's just go back uh, to the naming of that side and we'll uh, flick through it again. George Bauer uh, playing his 13th test match. Cody Taylor uh, offer to Ungafasi, who, of course, uh, now that front row was mightily impressive last week. You have to say that. They got early dominance. Uh, against uh, that Irish front row picked uh, on the uh, loose head and uh, and they got him they absolutely got him, Tuanga Fasi very very strong there, uh, Barrett uh, who Scott Barrett will play his 50th test match when he runs out at lock on Saturday night uh, in Dunedin um, and uh, Ritalik will be playing his 94th so plenty of experience in, in the locking jerseys uh, interesting, uh, there was a lot of speculation if uh, Scott Barrett did go across the lock, who would come in at six. Well, that has been answered. It will be Dalton Popoli wearing the six jersey on Saturday night out of the Blues. Um, and uh, Sam Kane, some good news about Dalton Popoli. I'll get uh, Logan to uh, just uh, talk us uh, through that as well, on top of being in the all-black side for this week. Sam Kane, captain, of course, playing his 79th test. Gee, they're racking up, aren't they? Artie Savia will play his 61st test, another strong performance, expected at number eight. Aaron Smith and Bowden Barrett, in fact, the back line stays the same. Um, and then you've got Lester Fanganuku, uh, and uh, he's going to play his second test. Quintapora and Rico Iwani, even though some uh, of those backs, those midfield backs come back and are available to Ian Foster, he said no. And that's probably the biggest indication, really, that he's decided to stick rather than twist with the bulk of the squad. Uh, Sevi Reese uh, back in the 14 jersey and Geordie Barrett in the 30, uh, 38th test match at fullback. Okay then, uh, the reserves, there's some interest here. Tokiahu uh, is the reserve uh, hooker, no doubt about that. His ball carrying is uh, simply amazing. Aiden Ross will make his test debut when called upon uh, in the second half, hopefully. Uh, Angus Ta'aval will play his 22nd, uh, and then uh, the locks, uh, the reserve lock will be Patrick Tuopoloto, fresh back from Japan, rushed into the squad, uh, and uh, will uh, at some point uh, play his 42nd test match, you would assume. And Peter Gasoakula will see if he can score another try in his second appearance um, uh, off the bench as well. Uh, Falau Fokatava, so a popular choice that I think a lot of people wanting to see what this young man can do with an all-black jersey. Uh, alongside Aaron Smith, he's been outstanding off the bench for the Highlanders. Will be uh, have the same impact when he comes off the bench at some point. Um, against uh, Ireland, uh, you know, the, the super rugby he's been part of this year is uh, one of the reasons of course that he's in the squad in the first place Richie Mawanga will be uh, in 22 and Will Jordan replaces Braden Enner Braden Enner was off the bench last week of course Will Jordan back to full fitness uh, and why wouldn't you include him in that is a very strong side a very strong side uh, and uh, of note there uh, is the Tuanukuafi Carl Tuanukuafi loses his place on the bench to the young Aidan Ross of course uh, Tuanukuafi Big Carl is off at the end of the season and we won't be seeing too much of him again around the All Black, uh, All Black camp. So that's good news, good news. And uh, I also um, made that point too about the good news uh, about um, Dalton Popoli'i. Uh, Logan, just update us on that. Yeah, just quickly, I imagine Dino and his 10 mates are going to the game. I, there's going to be a huge uh, 
reception for Fakatava when he comes off the bench. I look forward to that. Uh, the big news coming out of the Auckland, well, out of the blue, Smithy, is that Dalton Papali'i has uh, re-signed or extended his time with the club to at least 2024. So he is sticking around. Here's an awesome quote. Uh, Zade, if you're listening, this is going to pump you up, mate. Uh, he said, There is nowhere else in this competition that I'm going to play. I'm a Blues player by birth, by school, and by my heart. This year was a massive jump forward. We missed the last step, which is gutting, but we have just started this journey and there's so much more to come. I want to be part of that legacy to this club and this region. Great statement and a great leader um, and very, very popular and uh, it absolutely celebrates that news by being included uh, in the starting 15 this Saturday night. And and, uh, just in case, uh, like myself, a lot of you are confused about Josh Lord, uh, he's been ruled out um, of uh, rugby for the whole of 2022 with a ruptured ACL. Uh, And Josh Dixon actually has been training with the team this week in addition to Tuopolotu. Uh, once Whitelock was ruled out. So there's uh, a couple of little snippets there. Uh, it is 11.51 here on SENZ. Uh, we'll have uh, a text to read out and Staffy before midday. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.